Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Private Podcast. Ryan, today we're going to talk about seven daily habits and answer a bunch of surprise questions. All right. But first, let's start with some more about less. Let's do it. So this is an article from our good friend Joshua Becker, who's going to be on the podcast soon. He has a new book coming out Mm. called Things That Matter. And he, of course, started a lovely website called becomingminimalist.com. And he... This was his most popular article of last year, of 2021. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called Seven Daily Habits to Change Your Life Forever. Ooh, I haven't <laughs> read this. Let me guess what they are. Okay, go for it. Um, one of them's got to be like prayer or meditation. Um, I'm see. going through the list here. That doesn't appear to be one of them. No? But hold on. Okay, well, then there's eight habits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the eighth one. <laughs> uh, exercise? That is one. That's number two. Gratitude practice? That is number four. Yeah, gratitude. Uh, let's see. Um, 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 man, okay, I, I'm not going to draw this out anymore because I can't really, nothing is coming to the top of my head. But I'm surprised meditation or prayer is not on there. That's, yeah. That's interesting. Well, let's go through it real quick. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I feel like I'm somewhat allergic to not just lists, but I'm also allergic to habits. Yeah. Uh, And and especially prescriptive habits. That's exactly it. That's why I'm not actually allergic to doing things habitually. Yeah. But I think one of the problems we often have is we think that we're supposed to muster up the discipline in order to do the thing that we dislike. And it never works. It's the reason the reason New Year's resolutions fail. And by the time this comes out, it's the end of January. Mm hmm. All the New Year's resolutions have failed, almost vir- virtually all of them, right? Yeah. And, and the reason is it's quite often because someone else has told us this is what we're supposed to do in order to, quote, lose weight or in order to be better or to mm. improve or, or or whatever the buzzword is these days, right? Yeah. Wouldn't it just, I mean, it wouldn't it just be awesome if there was a list of here's what you need to do to live the happiest most meaningful life ever. Right. And I think that, you know, the reason why these lists are so popular, specifically this being the most popular thing on his website is because we're all uh, of 2020 or 2021. We're all looking for that prescription. Yes. We're all looking for the answers. Oh, uh, it's much easier to have someone else give me the answers than like really try and figure out what are the answers for myself. Cause when you try to figure figure it out yourself, there's a lot of trial and error. We talked about on the minimal podcast, there are regrets and, and, and yeah, those don't feel great, but uh, forging that path yourself is, is such a, a more meaningful experience than, you know, me looking at you and saying, Josh, uh, tell me the 10 things I need to do each day to be happy. That's exactly it, Ryan. Um, you, you're hitting the nail on the head here because quite often we set out to do these things to either A, be happy. We mm-hmm. think if I accomplish X, Y, and Z, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of this old, the story of... Um, uh, someone who said yeah, they were at this dinner party and, and they said, I, I can't, I'll be happy as soon as I leave here because I can get this fake smile off my face. Wow. And isn't that so true? Like we often force ourselves into situations where we are faux happy. Yeah. We pretend to be happy because we see other people around and we assume they're happy because they also have on the faux smiles. Or maybe they actually are happy in that situation. Mm. But then we think we're supposed to be happy in that situation as well. And that is the problem I have with prescriptive habits. In fact, uh, I sent Malabama, I sent you an article 
I just texted to you a few days ago uh, from Kapil Gupta. Maybe if we have a chance, we'll we'll try to read that as well. If not, at bare minimum, it's because it's about the problem with prescriptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll put a mm-hmm. link to that in the show notes, bare minimum. But if I have time here, we'll uh, we'll read that and talk about it. But let's talk about these seven daily habits to change your life forever. Because here's the thing: I think we might actually agree on them. The problem is the doing doesn't make you happy. Right. It does. The becoming something, uh uh-oh, becoming minimalist, Mm -hmm. the becoming something also doesn't make you happy. Mm. And so if happiness is what you're seeking, you're seeking something that's already there. Mm. It's like when uh, you go to a hoarder's home and they can't find anything because we've cluttered our lives with distress, with restlessness, with overwhelm, with misery, with discontent, with uh, low-grade anxiety running throughout 24 hours a day, waking up anxious. Mm. Well, why do we wake up anxious? Because of what we have done, what Mm. we do, what we fill our lives with, the trying to better ourselves, to improve our lives, to change your life forever. Mm. And so while I agree with Joshua Becker on a lot of things, we may even agree on these things. I think these are byproducts. If you these things are done habitually because of the life you're living, mm. but I'm not prescribing any of them to you. Mm. The first one is the three item to do list. So the three item to do list has revolutionized my life. Becker says every morning with my cup of coffee, I write down the three most important tasks that I need to complete that day. It is a practice I cannot recommend enough. Hmm. The three items to do list will keep you focused on your priorities. What he's really saying here is understand what your priorities are. Yeah. And that's where you and I, I think, agree with him. Sure. And I'm not against to do lists. I'm against them for me. Yeah. There is something. Um, I'm trying to find a way to say this to not sound like a jerk because I love Joshua Becker. And I think these seven habits are probably going to be really helpful. But uh the three things to do. There's already seven things on the to-do list, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this a, is an additional three things <laughs> already. <laughs> well, for my first wish, I wish for more wishes. <laughs> and for those three wishes, I wish for more money. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> it's going to make me happy. Right. right? And so, <clears throat> yes, here's the thing. So what's the, what's the fundament of this habit? Mm. It's really... It's not a habit at all. If you understand what is your priority, mm-hmm. by the way, priorities, not a thing. Mm. That's like saying, you know, there's a plural for the word focus. It's foci. There's a reason we never say foci. Mm. Because if this camera is focused on you, it can't also have an additional foci over here. It has to adjust from you to whatever's behind you or whatever. Mm. You see it in like TV shows all the time where they they go the background goes blurry and they they focus on one person and there's someone behind them and it focuses on them. It's not multiple foci. And the truth is if you have 100 priorities, you have no priorities. Now one might argue you have 3 priorities, you could focus on one at a time. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. So understand your priorities. Yes, mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. If a to-do list helps you with that, Wonderful. Yeah. If there's a way to understand them viscerally so you don't need a to do list, that might be even better. Number two is exercise. You already talked about that. Mm. The, the problem with this one that I have is yes, humans are meant to move. Now, not move perpetually, not move all day, not wear ourselves out. In mm. fact, 
there are many arguments that what we're doing to our bodies with over-exercising right. now. Actually hurts us. Yes. In yeah. fact, if you look at the Hadza, they sit for about nine to 10 hours a day every day. Oh, wow. So the most natural human beings on earth in Tanzania, now they don't sit like we do. They don't have backed chairs mm. they squat mm. or they'll they'll do a deep squat on like a, a log or a stump or or they will they'll bring out a deer skin and sit cross-legged on the the deer skin mm. uh, on a floor and, and so they sit differently from us but they are also sedentary a large portion of the day now they're also moving the other parts of the day i will tell you this though when I, I try to walk a lot, so I, I walk probably eight miles a day on average, not every day, but some mm -hmm. days more than that. In mm -hmm. fact, this weekend, I, I had one day, it was about 20 miles. Mm. And if I exert myself that way, the consequence of that is what? I tend to sleep better. Mm. If I sit around all day and don't move at all, I tend to sleep poorly. Totally agree. Yeah. And so exercise can be beneficial. The problem we run into is when we try to follow someone else's exercise regimen program, whatever, whatever. Right. And it kind of can make us miserable. I remember I was doing with uh, Sean Mahalik, one of our other Sean's. Yeah. Uh, we call him other Sean around here. Yeah. Whoa. When he moved to Missoula, Montana, um, he was like, Hey, can I start going to the gym with you? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So we're going and he busts out this Daniel Craig workout. Oh, wow. That Daniel Craig did for Bond. Yeah. And uh, Mahalik's just a huge, much like Harding, just a huge Bond fan. Like, if your name's you know, Sean, you basically love James Bond. Exactly, exactly. So uh, it was a good workout. And um, yeah, like I, I I followed that workout. In fact, Mahalik eventually moved away from us because he hates me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the stories we tell ourselves. <laughs> oh, the ego is strong with this one. <laughs> so he moves away. I continue to do the bond workout because it was just, you know, it was a prescription that I was following. Yeah. And there was uh, uh, someone who came up to me eventually. Um, coincidentally, another, uh, another person named Sean, another man named Sean. Oh. <laughs> he uh, turns out he was a chiropractor. A studio. Yeah, Sean Studio. And he yeah. was like, uh, hey, what are you doing over here, man? Did <laughs> <laughs> you like practicing shooting in the right. mirror? He was really nice about it. And I was like, I don't know, dude. I'm like, I just, this is exercise routine I've gotten the habit of doing. You know, I, I do feel better after I do it. And he was like, well, let me help you with a little bit of the form. He's like, but let's take a step back. And like the exercises that you're doing, why are you doing these exercises? Ooh. And I was like, oh, yes. yeah, I'm like, it's a good question, man. I was like, well, you know, I want to look like Daniel Craig. I didn't say that, but. But I did want to look like Dan and Craig. Still do. Um, this is actually a great point. So yeah. So he was like, he was like, well, don't you think Daniel Craig probably already had like a really good foundation before he was doing those exercises? And I was like, oh yeah, you're right. So um, from that day forward, Sean and I became workout buddies until I moved away from Missoula. And uh, yeah, he, other other Sean, the other other Sean. Yeah. So no, it was it was great because like he he was knowledgeable, got got to uh, help me to the root of the why. And then we were able to come up with a different workout program that, you know, for all intents and purposes, worked much better than what I was doing, you know, following Daniel Craig's workout. And what was critical about this is you were working on the how side of things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But you didn't know why you were doing it. Yeah. Because Daniel Craig does it. Right. Which is not a sufficient why. That That's a, an answer that we can come up with. Sure. It's, and what's so fascinating about this is I can give you the Daniel Craig prescription, literally, as 
other Sean gave to you. Mm-hmm. And you didn't end up looking like Daniel Craig. Well, yeah. why is that? Because even if Daniel Craig just follows the Daniel Craig prescription, it's not enough because there's other things that are intangibles. Mm. And and I think that's the, sure. pro- the problem. If you're understanding the why, though, if, so for me, I understand the why. I exercise every day and I have a bare minimum foundation. So mm-hmm. I walk eight miles. Mm-hmm. I do 40 pull-ups minimum. Most days, 60, 70, 80 pull-ups, mm-hmm. but 40 minimum. 100 push-ups minimum, mm. and I'll do some weighted squats throughout mm. the day, right? i also do non-weighted squats as well, mm. just uh, for my flexibility and strength. And if I do anything on top of that, if I do any weighted exercises or you know, free weights, or it's a bonus. I'll do that one or two times a week. But if you have that foundation of exercise, totally agree with that. But what I'm saying is what works for me may not be appropriate for you. You may not yeah. enjoy it. I actually enjoy it. I put on a podcast, do it for 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. Everyone has 18 minutes a day. I do it at home. I don't have to go to a gym. I don't have to worry about showering and bringing a bag with me and all these other things. I have a pull-up bar at home. I have a few small free weights and then I can walk anywhere at any time and it's all absolutely free mm. to do. Yeah. And so I've removed as much friction as I needed to so I have the daily traction to keep me going, doing something that I enjoy, that I actually look forward to. There's something else. This isn't one of the the daily habits either, Ryan, but there's something else that I do every day. I've been doing since last April, so almost a year now. I do a cold shower every day mm. that is available to me. And it's winter time now, so it's even colder right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And at first, it's miserable, just like exercising was miserable. But now I can't go without it in uh, some weird way. Whenever we go out and tour and we go to one of these cities that like we were in Texas the end of last year, you know, <laughs> I would turn it on as, as cold as it would get. And it wasn't cold at all. Yeah. And I was like fiending for a cold shower. Mm. Whereas before I was like, oh no, it's terrible. Oh, hurry up. And I would, I would just do two minutes at the very end of my shower, two full minutes cold shower. Yeah. So I, or if I get like some sort of ice cream headache because it's too cold, mm. then I know to sort of move my head for a moment. But I'm not prescribing that to anyone else. But what I can tell you is that because I've immersed myself in it, I found what worked, found, I found what worked well for me. Mm. Well, we're about to be on the East Coast, man. Water's going to be plenty cold over there. Yeah, by the time this comes out, we'll have already gone to the East Coast. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be it'll be nice and cold. And hopefully, whatever hotels that we're staying in have some cold showers because it wakes me up and it, like, it energizes me in a way. And if I don't have that, if I just get out and it has a hot shower, I kind of feel lethargic. Mm. But if I do the cold shower for two minutes at the end, I feel alive. Mm. You know, you, you've done cold plunges and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, dude, I love cold plunges. But yeah, I too. Like at the end of a shower, um, I don't know if I go two minutes, but I always put it on cold and like rinse off at least, yeah, 30 seconds to a minute of rinsing off in, in the cold. But between like Ben Greenfield telling me uh, or tell, not telling me specifically, but telling people, you know, hey, hot, cold cycles helps with sleep and um, finish on cold. And then uh, Oya. The, the gal who cuts my hair. Yeah. She was like, when you rinse your hair, like after you condition it, mm-hmm. which I obviously condition. Clearly. <laughs> you have to check out the video version of this podcast. <laughs> uh, I rinse it with cold water. And it's all has to do with, um, so there's like a, 
you know, an immune system. There's like a, a metabolic thing that happens, but there's also like a thing with your pores, a physical thing that happens when you finish on cold. Like it closes up all your pores, which, right. yeah, which helps you have lovely flowing hair. Yeah. Like Josh's. <laughs> <laughs> they call it, uh, I think, cold shock proteins. But mm. the 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 cold there at the end, especially if you want to you do it on, make sure it hits your forehead and your chest. Mm. That's how, how you get that that aliveness, that mm. feeling. Yeah, it's... Um, it's it's invigorating the same way that a workout can be. And mm. that's my point is if you're working out and it's not invigorating, mm-hmm. then why keep doing it? Mm. Why make yourself miserable? Now, at first, it's going to be miserable. It's not something you're used to. You know, I teach this writing class and uh, it's called How to Write Better, uh, howtowritebetter.org if you're interested. Uh, it's not open right now, but you can get notifications or whatever. But the um, the thing I teach in the right, one of the things I teach is hey, I'm going to be doing something a little bit different from what you're used to. And so if I have you write out your name, Ryan Nicodemus, on a piece of paper, it probably mm-hmm. takes you about three seconds to write it out. Mm-hmm. You just write Ryan Nicodemus. You're so used to writing it. Boom. And, and it's error free. You never mm-hmm. mess up the spelling of your name. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I were to say, all right, now, Ryan, I need, want you to write your name, but just write every other letter. Mm. Now, mathematically, it should take you 1.5 seconds. Mm but it'll actually take you about 12 seconds Hmm. and there will probably be errors. Hmm. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because whenever we do something new, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to take longer. Now, eventually you do that enough and you're writing your name, every other letter. It's just R A N C. Like eventually you're going to be able to do that one and a half seconds and it's going to be more efficient. It's going to be better for you. And, but in the meantime, there are going to be a lot of growing pains. And so trying any anything new, exercise, finding the thing that works for you, you're going to go through a bunch of things that probably don't work for you. Yeah. And that's okay. You don't have to do the same workout routine as Ryan Nicodemus or Daniel Craig in order to exercise every day, to find the thing that really invigorates you, the thing that you actually look forward to doing. Because if you find that thing, then you're not going to even need the habit because it's just going to be habitual. Mm. Number three, this is a big one. Turn off television. Mm. Now, a few things you can talk about. One is a lot of homes, I forget what the stat is now. It's like three point something TVs per home. Wow. Now, I would argue it's even more than that. iPads, tablets, laptops, Kindles, uh, all these other Screens, basically, and yeah. how many screens are in your average home? Like twelve, probably. Yeah, probably. And so they're all TVs now. It's they're all just screens, right? They all, if you have access to an internet connection, anything with a screen is basically a, a TV. How does half a TV work? <laughs> Not very well. I I'm gonna cut a TV in half and just put it in like the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, yes, there's probably there's way more than three and a half screens in everybody's home. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there are a ton of TVs. And what I the first thing I did when we first became the minimalists was when I moved and I, I just didn't get a TV. In fact, I didn't have one for many years until we moved to Los Angeles. And the apartment that I rent has a mm. TV on the wall. The previous tenant just left it there. Mm. And it's been the bane of my existence. Mm. I would prefer we didn't have it. Yeah. And um as, as soon as we move at some point, I can't imagine going back to having a TV in my home. However, that said, 
if we had a TV in the bedroom, I would rip it off the wall immediately. Mm. The bed is meant for two things, neither of which include channel surfing. Yes. And so for me, I don't want TV in the bedroom. I don't want distractions. There's nothing wrong with a TV. If you got a TV in the living room, sure. it can add immense value to you and your family's life, especially appointment viewing. So that's the way that the Bex and I tend to watch TV now as we will schedule something together. Mm. And then we've decided we're going to watch that thing. Which reminds me, we need to schedule the Matrix. Oh, yeah. We need to finish the uh, quadrilogy. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call a movie with a set of four? Uh I don't know. Quadruplex? Yeah, there you go. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sean, just uh, edit in the correct word there. <laughs> so um, I, I agree with turning off the television. There are so many negative effects that are detrimental to our lives, the channel surfing. But of course, I think that extends beyond the TV. I think it extends to this device that I have here in my hand. I'm going to read something from it in a moment. Uh, I think it extends to any other glowing screen. Mm. If we don't use them intentionally, they end up using us. Mm. Number four is practice gratitude. So establishing a gratitude practice. Oh, wait. So you're right, Ryan. He actually calls this. He says, say a prayer, keep a gratitude journal, meditate. Oh, okay. Or discuss the high points of your day over dinner with your family. Okay. So he sort of lumped all that together. I think what you're saying is they can also be separated out. Yeah. You can pray and meditate and have a gratitude practice. You can do them. Oh, yeah. Those could be three separate things technically, but yeah. I I um I get, I get the lumping it under one thing though. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. Because you don't want to have 15 daily habits. Very, anyway. The 15 daily habits to stress you out every day. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And so, I, and I think that's actually one of the problems with this mm. here is we can say, oh, you know, I only did five of my seven daily habits. I'm a failure. In fact, I had this, uh, this happened this, this week to me. I'm like, I'm going to exercise. I've exercised virtually every day, mm -hmm. but I was, I'm going to have a streak all year this year. Every day, I'm going to make sure I never go a day without. And then my arm, my shoulder was hurting yesterday. Oh. And I'm like, what do I do? Yeah. And I'm like, bunch of squats. That's why your butt's looking so good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but like, I, I wasn't able to do my full baseline exercises that mm. day. And I, so I, I ruined my streak. Mm. Well, that streak beat was becoming a, a prison for me, right? Yeah. And I think the same thing can be true with this gratitude practice or any of these other things is if we feel compelled as though we must do it, mm -hmm. that's not real gratitude. Mm -hmm. Here's my gratitude practice. Anytime I appreciate something, I pause to recognize that. Mm. And I also appreciate what might be the opposite. Like even when something really screws up here at the studio and, oh, we lost the file or, or the live stream didn't work today. In fact, right now our live stream didn't work because the internet was out, right? Right. And so we had to go without the live stream version of this on Patreon today. Mm. Sorry about that, patrons. We just didn't have access to it. Yeah. And yet I, anytime something just really screws up, I, it could be worse. Like I could be back in that corporate job that was completely soul sucking. Yeah. I could be beholden to a boss who was demeaning yeah. and awful and mean and, and rude and yeah. unkind yeah. Lacked compassion. Hmm. And and so I could be back there. And all of a sudden now 
that's a, a different kind of gratitude. I don't have to practice gratitude. I can just see that. As soon as I see it for what it is, yeah. that realization provides an understanding that helps me let go of whatever the uh, the anxiety or the stress that that appears in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Number five here, Ryan, write something. Ooh. Every day, sit down and write something, anything. It could be a three-sentence post on Instagram, a three-paragraph private journal, or a three-page blog post to share with the world. Where your life ends up means far less than the impact it will have on your life. Or where your writing ends up, he says. So, yeah, I think that that's true. So one of the best things that we ever did was start the minimalists.com mm. because it gave us this creative outlet. Some things that got shared, other things didn't. But writing helped me shape my worldview, helped me better understand what I didn't understand. Yeah. And so, in fact, if you want to go to theminimalists.com slash blog, we, we have a, a guide on how we started our blog because so many people have asked about it. Mm -hmm. And you can start your own blog. Or if you don't want to do a whole blog, Instagram, we're, we're all writers now. You're writing a text message. Yeah. You're writing captions on Facebook. Mm -hmm. you're, you're putting up social media posts. We're all writers now. Yeah. You're writing comments on people's posts. Right. Yeah. And so I find that um, one thing that helps me as well is treating my texts as though they are formal writings or, or writings that are going to be published. Mm -hmm. And that helps me better communicate with the people around me as well. Yeah. They can better understand me and it helps me improve my writing overall. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, The Minimalists, we have over 600 blog posts up there now. Wow. And uh, that was just started as, hey, Ryan and I are going to post about this 21-day minimalist journey. And from there, it it turned into all these other things that would have never happened if we wouldn't have planted the seed of the blog. The podcast likely would not have happened. Certainly the Netflix films or the tours or the books would not have happened had we not started writing. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. In fact, in my writing class, I teach um, for 30 days, I ask people to write for at least an hour a day. One at, Now, these are people who are serious about writing. They want to improve their writing. So yeah. this isn't just a three-minute thing. But the thing that I see over those 30 days, people write more in those 30 days than they have in the last... 30 months or 30 years for some yeah. people. Yeah. Wow. I've had medical doctors and high school students and everyone in between take the class. And what they realize, they're all aspiring writers. Oh, I'll just sit down someday and write. But no, no, no. There's no perfect condition. It's sitting down and writing really helps me better understand the world around me. And their lives improve in all these other ways as well that they weren't even trying to improve. Yeah. Because they begin to have a deeper understanding of the things that are going on around them. So writing something can be a great daily habit. If you force yourself to do it and you hate it, though, I wouldn't keep doing it. Yeah. Number six, reset your kitchen. Every night before you go to bed, clean your kitchen. I do this, but I do it for the whole house, mm. living room in particular. We, we just call it uh, setting the stage. Mm. We uh, learned this from our friend Drew, who did the uh, soundtrack to both of our films. He um he with he has three kids and you know they they tornado through the house throughout the day and when they're in bed he and his wife spend fifteen minutes and they just go through the house and they set the stage mm. prepare it for the morning that way when you wake up in the morning 
there isn't stuff strewn all over the place. The morning is ready for you. You're not like scrambling to organize things. Yeah. You're just resetting the stage. That's all. Yeah. And finally, eat together. Josh says, I realize, of course, if you live alone, this final habit may not apply. But I fear there are too many people living together who are also not applying this habit to their lives. Yeah, we, we do this whenever we have Ella, you know, and Bex and I sit down and eat every night that we're together as well. And um, it doesn't mean every meal. In fact, most of my meals, or at least half, I eat alone. Mm. Now, I know that's like anathema to corporate people. Never eat alone. I think there's a whole book about this, right? Really? About networking and, oh, wow. and, and never, yeah, you're always using that opportunity to network with someone else. No, I need alone time. Yeah. Leave me alone. Mm. But I will have lunch or dinner with someone occasionally, but generally I prefer to have my meals alone. But what he's saying is a meal or something else can be a marker to recognize and appreciate, acknowledge that bond that you have with the people closest to you. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a meal. That just makes the most sense, especially for families. Yeah. This is a great list. Yeah, There's I agree. Some really good stuff on there. I agree. The, the thing to think about is if these apply to you, wonderful. If they don't, don't turn them into prison bars. Mm. Don't even turn them into advice. Don't believe him. Don't believe me. Don't believe Ryan. What works for you? That is what is true. And you can let go of the rest. Amen. We were talking about prescriptions here, Ryan. I wanted to read this thing from Kapil Gupta. I won't read the whole thing necessarily. I might, but we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. This is one of his public discourses, and it's called The Destructiveness of Method and Technique. A human wishes to learn a skill or improve a skill or attain realization. He hires an instructor or a coach. Why does he do this? Why would he not? After all, a human does what other humans do. A human's behavior is created by what he sees, what he hears, what he is repeatedly told, where he repeatedly lives. He has no choice in the matter. He has never had a, quote, choice. This is conditioning. If the human is asked, why did you hire an instructor or coach? He will, he certainly will not say, because I have been conditioned by the world, <laughs> because <laughs> I have been brainwashed by the world, because I am a slave to the norm, because I am a product of my environment. Rather, he will be dumbfounded by the question. I think that's what, when other other Sean asked you, like, well, why are you doing these things? Yeah. At the first, we get dumbfounded by the why question because we don't even stop to think about why. Right. Well, well I want to wh be healthy. Right. No, there are many ways to be healthy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and and it's not that, well, I want to be healthy and I've, uh, through extensive research, determined this is the number one way right. for me to do it. Mm -hmm. No, it's because someone else showed me a technique or a method. Right. Yeah. He goes on to say, what, uh, what sort of silly question is this? Why would I not hire an instructor or a coach? What does an instructor do? He instructs. What does a coach do? He coaches. Therein lies the fundamental problem. Few will see it at first glance. If one seeks to become great at a particular skill in business, in sport, or in anything, he can be instructed. Can he be instructed or coached into that skill? 
And I think the thing that I would say here, the the greatness is the thing that stands out. Mm. So you saw the Daniel Craig workout, who was great in that arena, right? Physical fitness, acting, etc. Yeah. And you look for a how-to to become great. Now, what any exercise is going to make you, quote-unquote, healthier or more fit. Sure. It's going to increase your stamina or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to lead to greatness. Greatness can't be learned through technique, through method, through prescription. Prescription can help with the foundation. Hmm. If you want to become a the world's best uh, skater, you know the the future Tony Hawk, right? Mm-hmm. There's no twelve steps to become Tony Hawk, right? You can learn twelve steps to learn how to skate, and you can take those and you can develop that into greatness. But it is not going to get you there. It's going to maybe provi- provide a foundation, right? And I think that's the, the the key to remember here. Any of these things, if you if you're just starting out, the how tos can be really helpful, especially if you understand what the why is. Yeah. And yeah. so I'll put a link to the uh, well, podcast, Sean. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It, it goes on. It's a a relatively long discourse there. But Ryan, we do have some additional questions from patrons and from Facebook here. Let's yeah. start with. Um, well, we didn't get to some of them. How about Kath? We have a question here or a comment from Kath about just-in-case items. Alabama, what do you got for us? I'm holding on to toys stored in our loft just in case my now teenagers have children of their own one day who might like to play with them when they visit. I know what I'm doing is pure sentimentality on my part because other children might be able to enjoy them now. So what is the the first step for something like this? I know she isn't asking, but the first step is actually a realization. Yeah. This realization that she has had, that is what often spurs the understanding that, oh, the cost of holding on to these things is greater than the benefit of keeping them. And if the cost of holding on to something is greater than the benefit of keeping it, that is the surefire sign that we need to let go. Well, you could TikTok that, Danny. Oh, Cass, keep your toys. I mean, Josh and I don't care what you do with your toys, you know, what, but you obviously care because you're bringing it up. And if you're bringing it up, then it's probably creating some type of discomfort or there's a symptom going on that, yeah, you've got to look, you've got to look at a little bit deeper. Yes. Uh, if, if, if I was in your shoes, I'd donate them and let other kids play with them, especially because she said she has teenagers. Yes. Who might want to have, you know, children one day of their own. So now it's some, you know, hopefully existing future, but it's still a hypothetical future. These are not just for win items. They are truly just in case. Yes, they are. Um, but, you know, the other thing, too, is these toys are outdated. Like, I mean, maybe there are some classics. There are some timeless toys, Legos, Lincoln Logs. I know how much you love Lincoln Logs, Josh. Tickle me, Elmo. Tickle me, Elmo. But, you know, if I still held on to my garbage pail kid cards, although they might be worth something these days. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm glad I didn't hold on to them. I'm not looking at the re- in the rearview mirror thinking, man, I really should have held on to all those toys. Right. And here's why, here's why you're glad you didn't hold on to them. It's because, yes, you could have theoretically held on to just the garbage pail kid cards, but you couldn't actually hold on to just the one thing that's going to be valuable without not also holding on to the... The, the what, you would be holding on to tens of thousands of other things oh, yeah. that are not going to be valuable at all. 100%. So on the aggregate, 
by holding on to just that one thing because mm-hmm. we don't know what the one thing is that is going to potentially be valuable. Just like these toys, yes. they may or may not be valuable. Here's, here's the thing about it. They are valuable to someone else right now. You have said it. Yeah. And that's okay. But if you let them go, or better yet, you can have your kids let them go. I know you have teenage kids right now. Mm-hmm. There's nothing better. I mean, every Christmas we do this where we go buy toys for kids who are in need. Clothes, socks, toys for kids who don't have the same means that we have. And But we yeah. bring Ella, who's eight years old right now, into the fold mm-hmm. and allow her to participate in the giving process. And she feels so good because she can see the emotion of these kids who just don't have what she has. Yeah. And it also helps her understand and practice gratitude in a way mm. because she re- can finally realize she can understand, oh, not everyone has it as good as I have it. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Cass, yeah, you know what to do, Cass. We don't have to make any suggestions for you. We have no prescription for you. Just some observations. Indeed. <laughs> what about Sarah in Alabama? Sarah has a uh, comment for us. I try to give myself some grace with my just-in-case items. I have some very expensive saxophones that I'm holding on to just in case. However, should I need them back in my life, it would cost thousands to get them back. So those items get to stick around. So let's talk about expensive. expensive. Yeah. Just in case items. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good excuse, Sarah. (laughs) It's a really good excuse. And any excuse is still just an excuse. That's right. Um, It. This isn't a judgment, Sarah. I'm just thinking of myself. I actually have a saxophone that I'll play every once in a while, especially like, I don't know why, but it's really easy to play some of the Christmas songs. Yeah. So I usually break it out for Christmas and I'm just like playing with Mariah. I had a friend who taught saxophone and would come over and like we'd have lessons together, but she moved. So now it's just me annoying Mariah with my saxophone, but I enjoy (laughs) playing it every once in a while. Same thing with my guitar. Um, Same thing with my cajon, although that also doubles as like an end table. Yeah. Um, so there are some musical instruments <laughs> I have that I actually use. However, if I had several saxophones, I would be looking at those with kind of a little bit of a twinge of resentment or like just some negative type of feeling of like, man, like this is taking up space. I'm not using all these saxophones. Um, and actually, Sarah, I would posit that you could get them back if you sell them for thousands of dollars. You could buy them back for thousands of dollars. And I guarantee, see, what she knows is that when she has the thousands of dollars in her hands, she's not going to be willing to give up those thousands of dollars to bring them back, which in itself should be a symptom. But I would I would encourage you to set up some boundaries that work for you, Sarah. Maybe this is a boundary. If it costs over $1,000, I keep it. Great. That's your boundary, Sarah. Keep your saxophone. The question is, is, it, is that boundary serving you or is it holding you back? Sarah, why are you holding on to these saxophones? If it's because they add value to your life, wonderful. I don't want you to get rid of them. Right. We are minimalists. We are not deprivationists. Mm. And so holding on to them, if it adds greater value, if it adds benefit to your life, wonderful. Or maybe it just so happens that one or two of them add value to your life and the rest of them are getting in the way. So what do you do? You determine... If I sold all of these right now, say you have 10 saxophones mm-hmm. and they're worth a thousand bucks each and you can get a thousand dollars for them used. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. 
Would you take that same $10,000 and replace all of them right now? Or would you replace one or two of them? And if the answer is, yeah, of course, I would definitely buy one saxophone. I want to have a saxophone. Yeah. Great. Well, you just made $9,000 then by getting rid of the things that are in the way. And paradoxically, you're going to enjoy the other saxophone so much more because you're not burdened with all of the excess saxophones that are just getting in the way. And by the way, this applies to any other just-in-case items that are expensive or Mm. any just-in-case item in general. Would you replace that item? Mm. It's our spontaneous combustion rule. Yeah. If you wouldn't replace it, well, that's a surefire sign that I am going to let go. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to donate it. I'm going to find someone else who actually will will get value out of it. Mm. What about all my Dogecoin? <laughs> Is that worth anything these days? I have no I have no Dogecoin, man. I don't know why I thought about that. I was just you talked about having ten thousand dollars and you're like, would you replace the saxophones or would you invest in Dogecoin? <laughs> <laughs> I found a nickel with bite marks on it in the street. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a Bitcoin. Oh, Good one. Thank you. Thank good you, one. Thank good you. one. Um, did you notice like someone is reaching out to us on all platforms asking us about cryptocurrency? Yeah, I, I, I'm uh, so curious. Well, you, we, let's bring TK on because he understands crypto oh, in depth. Oh, yeah. I don't get it at all. I need, I, I, yeah, I need to understand it a little bit better myself. But it's funny because people are asking like, what's your opinion on it? I'm like, I have no opinion. Yeah. It's like asking my opinion on rocket science. Yeah, well. <laughs> I would it gets rockets say- to the moon, I think. I mean, my my answer to both of those is the same. My opinion doesn't matter. In fact, I keep answering whenever someone asks me about Bitcoin, like what when they say, "What is your opinion?" Mm. My opinion doesn't matter. What what is the truth behind Bitcoin? Mm. I don't understand enough about Bitcoin to be able to talk about it intelligently. Mm -hmm. But TK Coleman is a savant in this area, so we we can you know next time we should do. Yeah, I would love to talk to him about it. Yeah, we'll we'll bring him on to talk about it. In the meantime, we have a comment from Donna. I hold on to a bunch of tools just in case, because every time I get rid of one, I seem to need it and end up repurchasing it. Ooh, I kind of sympathize or empathize with with, uh, Donna here because I have have a toolbox that every time, like if I need to fix something, I'm trying to think of the last time I bought a tool. Well, I can't remember because I have a toolbox with tools in it. Yes. And, but that's my boundary. Hmm. So sometimes I do need some specialty tool to do something. God, I wish I had a sexy answer for this, but I, I can't remember the last thing, last time I bought something. Um, a putty knife, maybe. Like I needed a one-inch putty knife to get in between, you know, a couple of door frames to like smooth, you know, to spread some spackling over or something. Sure. So I stick it in my toolbox. Now, if that toolbox starts to overflow, I've got to ask myself. Um, How much is a bigger toolbox? <laughs> Which is an appropriate question, actually. Just in case. Just in case. Because, yeah, well, because here's the thing is I can look at those tools in the toolbox and, and like the one more is going to set it over the edge. I have to ask myself, okay, are there boundaries I already have set up in my life to help me remove some of these things from the toolbox? That's question number one. Then question number two is, is do I need to set a bigger boundary? Do I need to get a bigger toolbox? Yes. Now, I know mechanics who have you know, dressers, tool dresser. I don't know what you call them, tool dressers? But uh, they're, as, they're as big as like armoires. Yeah. Multiple of them with like all these specialty little tools. And guess what? Like they are just for when because there are uh, there are these tools that have, that have one specific function yes. that you need every once in a while. The, now, and, I don't need those. So that, that's not my boundary. The, the armoire is full. 
Exactly. An arm war is my favorite kind of war. <laughs> it's my favorite type of war. <laughs> the arm war. <laughs> so, um, right. yeah, here's the thing about uh, that that example you're bringing up. Those are just for win items for the mechanic. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not using it within the 90-90 or whatever, they know there are enough scenarios in which they'll need that tool. Yes. And even then, I would posit, you can still go through and say, hey, have I not used this in the last year? Am mm-hmm. I going to use this in the next year? Mm-hmm. And if not, is it okay that I'm still taking up space with it? Because it might be like, oh, this is so niche that I know I need it if anyone brings this type of car in or this type of engine or I need to repair this widget. I know I'm going to need these tools, right? However, for me or you, it would be a just-in-case item. Just in case I decide to become a mechanic. Mm. Just in case I decide to start repairing things. And as you said, if you took up a new hobby where you started working on cars, Mm -hmm. you are going to need to expand your boundary. Otherwise, you will be depriving yourself of things you truly need. Things that will serve the task or activity at hand. Yeah. We have a comment here from, ooh, I like this one, from Julie. The term that holds me up is, it's a good blank, as in, it's a good bag, it's a good pair of boots, it's a good blanket. While that is still true, do I need 20 of them? No. How can you moralize a bag? (laughs) (laughs) So there are two types of good, right? I mean, one just sort of means that it is good or bad, like right or wrong sort of thing. And I think, unfortunately, that's what we accidentally do. Now, I know that isn't what Julie is saying, and you you and I both, we're we're joking with her, but I think we often get confused. We say, oh, that's a good bag. It's a functional bag. Yes. And it's good to hold on to it. Yeah, and and, and all of a sudden, what we're saying is, oh, now it's like morally good. Mm -hmm. and, And it may be that it's useful to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Great. And what she's saying is it's not useful to hold on to 20 of those bags. Mm-hmm. Now, for someone else, there may be an appropriate use of, of 20 bags. And so this isn't a prescription to say, you know what, hold on to nothing or there's only one bag. That's what a minimalist can own. Well, mm-hmm. Hey, you don't have to be a minimalist. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe if you do own 20 bags and you don't feel like calling yourself a minimalist as a result, that's okay. But if they're getting in the way, if they're causing you distress, if the story you're telling yourself is it's a good bag, it's a good pair of boots, it's a good blanket, mm-hmm. maybe the alternate story is what the, the truth is. The truth is, although it's a useful, although it was a useful bag, it's no longer useful anymore. Yeah. That, and if that's the case, that means you have a couple options. You can start using it again if you're compelled to, not out of, well, I feel guilty, even though I don't want to wear it or use it, then you can let it go. Yeah. Or you can simply say, hey, this thing is did serve me. Mm-hmm. It's not serving me now. Mm. I'm going to part ways with it and be thankful for the time that I had with it. Yeah. And otherwise, you're going to cling to everything. If you cling to anything, well, then, of course, you're going to get dragged by it. And that's what's happening with Julie right now. She's being dragged by all these things that once served her. And so, yeah, Yeah. maybe it's a good pair of boots, but maybe it's because it was a good pair of boots for you. Yeah. Well, I like how she has presented an excuse that she finds herself 
telling herself. And she has not accepted that excuse and has made a different rule. Um, yeah, the, I love the spontaneous rule, uh, spontaneous combustion rule for items like this too. Yeah. Because like, yes, it's a good pen. Mm -hmm. If this spontaneously combusted, would I replace it? Um, yeah, yes. like this I would. Yes. But you know, um, when it comes to all the reusable bags that I found myself somehow obtaining here and there, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't need 20 of them. If 10 of them spontaneously combusted, would I go and replace them? Mm -hmm. No. Well, now I can give myself permission to let those go. Right. I think that rule is so important because it puts things into perspective. Yeah. And it allows you to see like, oh, I would never clutter my life with this thing. I'm holding on to it now because I feel compelled to. Mm. There's no way I'd go out and bring this into my life today. Right. Yeah. Let it go. Absolutely. We have one more comment here. Well, then we get to some surprise questions. One more comment from Corey. I have a guitar and drum set that are both extras and they are taking up space, but I keep them just in case my daughter wants to learn to play when she gets older. They hold sentimental value to me and will appreciate an actual value over the years. The problem is they're in the way right now. You know, I think that quite often it's easier for us to hide clutter, especially mm. if we have more space. Yeah. And I remember once, Ryan, we were in Missoula, me, you, and Colin, we were just moving to Missoula at the end of our log cabin experiment. So mm -hmm. years ago, back in 2012, we moved out to this cabin in the middle of nowhere, uh, side of a mountain uh, in between Missoula and Butte. Mm -hmm. It was one traffic light and 3,400 square miles. We wrote our second book called Everything That Remains. Yeah, we wrote the first draft of it there. And we decided, well, hey, we're, we're tired of driving two and a half hours to get to the grocery store. How about we actually go to move to the big city, which was Missoula for us. <laughs> and at the time, it was about 60 or 70,000 people. It's uh, much bigger now. A lot of people have moved there. Um, we were doing it before. It was cool. Right, exactly. But we, uh, when we moved out, out there, we were looking at these different houses. I remember this one house we looked at. It had so much storage space. Oh, it was insane. And that was like the big, the selling point. Look at these walk-in closets mm. and this attic space. And here's a storage closet. Yeah. And it was like, well, wait a minute. So what you're telling me is this apartment is 1,600 square feet, which seems really big for the three of us, but mm. fine. But about 400 of the square feet was storage. Yeah. Now, the three of us were minimalists. We had nothing to store. Right. We were living out of a bag before that, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... It was actually the opposite of a selling point for us. Right. It kept us from renting that space because it was too much space. However, many of the houses that we move into, many of the workspaces, whatever, we, we have all this extra storage. And because we have this extra space, we feel compelled to put things in those spaces until mm -hmm. it overflows. And then we run into where Corey is right now. I've got all of these, what he calls extras. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a nice way to say what, just in case, right? Mm. I've got an extra of this, an extra of that. Okay, fine. If they're, you, you're using them just for when, but you know that they're getting in the way. And if something truly is getting in the way, I was thinking if, imagine Ryan, you have a, relatively small apartment, 1,000 square feet or something, mm -hmm. 800 square feet. Sure. Imagine if I just brought a trampoline and put it in your living room. <laughs> a, it was a gift. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pressured to hold on to it. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and, and then also, 
it's just taking up space. Yeah. Now you would say, I've got to get rid of this thing, right? Right. Because it is so in the way, it's making life untenable mm. in a big way. Well, a lot of these things in Corey's life and in all of our lives are making life untenable in a small way. Mm-hmm. It's not as glaring as a giant trampoline in your living room, but it's still glaring in the sense that it's nagging you every single day or every week or every month. It keeps coming up mm-hmm. and it's in the back of your mind and it's weighing you down. And maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and you say, oh, there's something off. I feel a little anxious. Mm. And quite often I feel anxious because I have these things that I've been meaning to do something about, to organize or to declutter, but I'm not doing it. Well, why? Well, just in case I need those things. I need a few extras of something. In this case, it's a guitar and a drum set, Mm -hmm. but it could be an extra blender. It could be an extra ottoman. It could be an extra bench. It could be an extra toolbox, an extra hammer, an extra tape measure. We justify holding on to things because I could use an extra of this at some point in the future. Mm. Not a good reason to hold on to anything. Yeah. Especially with this drum, this, this, yeah, this, uh, what was it? The drum set. It's like not a, it's taking up extra space, but you're also assuming that your daughter is going to want to use it. I mean, if you're holding on to it because it's sentimental, then that's your choice. But, uh, to use the reason for your daughter might want to play one day, I mean, you are you might be actually setting yourself up for a little bit of a letdown. And again, just like with the saxophones, you could always get that stuff back, sell it, and then rebuy it later. You might be able to get something maybe even nicer. Who knows? Yeah. Won't have that sentimental value, but that's okay. I mean, what do we say about sentimentality? If everything is sentimental, then nothing is sentimental. Right. Yeah. And you say it won't have that sentimental value, but it might if you impart the same sentimentality onto it, yeah. right? And so something is sentimental only because we've assigned a sentimental value to it. Yeah. It's why I have, you know, Ryan has a bag of sentimental items for him. Yeah. Those things aren't sentimental to me. If you just drop those off at my house. Here you take care and, of them. And you said, hey, Josh, I don't want these anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd take care of them, but I wouldn't own them 24 <laughs> hours from now. And, and that's okay yeah. because they're not sentimental to me. Although I could, they could be like, if you said, hey, I'm going to give these to you and you, you bequeath them to me in your will and you passed away. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, same thing. I would never do that to you. Right. I know you wouldn't, <laughs> but it, it's but, literally yeah. the same thing. It is. Yeah. And, and now I'm assigning sentiment to it. Yeah. Because I chose to make them sentimental. Something is sentimental only because you chose to make that sentimental item sentimental. Mm. Otherwise, it's just an item. Amen to that. You TikTok that, Danny. Alabama, we got some surprise questions here. How about we talk to Jacqueline? I hesitate to get rid of a lot of things for our son, but we also don't have a lot of storage. How do minimalist families handle this? Congratulations, you don't have a lot of storage, which means you're not paying for a bunch of excess space that you don't need. Now, Ryan, imagine if at your apartment you... Uh, had that same square footage in a house, but now you had a basement and an attic and it was costing you twice as much to be in that space, Mm. you'd effectively be paying for storage space. Yeah. 
Now, it's not to say that storage is bad or evil. Here at our studio downstairs, we have a storage annex with a few things in there that we apply our 90-90 rule to. Have I used this in the last 90 days? If not, will I use it in the next 90 days? If not, we try to sell it or donate it or recycle it or eventually maybe even trash it. Mm. And so, Jacqueline, congratulations. Saying I don't have a whole lot of storage, let's reframe that. I don't have to pay for a bunch of excess space that I am not using. And so when you say I hesitate to get rid of things for my son, well, why do you hesitate to get rid of them? If he's no longer using them, then you're assigning a meaning to them that he's probably not assigning to them at all. We don't, as kids, we don't start Mm. assigning meaning to physical things until around age four or age five. And the only reason we tend to do that is because we see our parents do it, right? Yeah. Man, I would just pause with Jacqueline that your son probably doesn't need 95% of the stuff that you think he needs. I mean, I in fact, if you look at the opposite, there's probably a 1,000 or 2,000 more items that uh, you could probably talk yourself into getting for your son, talking yourself into the fact that he needs them. I mean, what do kids really need? They need a good home. They need some clothes. They need food. They need shelter. They need water. They need some toys. They need some entertainment. They need love. But I think often we we make the mistake of falling for a lot of, uh, it's not just marketing. That's a piece of it. But we also see, you know, our friends and what they have for their children. Oh, my child would be happier if they had X, Y, or Z. And uh, that's a lot of the times not the case. And quite often... I end up regretting the things that we buy for Ella. Mm. And and here's why. Because it distracts her from living the life that keeps her in the moment. Mm. The tablet is a great example of this, right? I, uh, if there's one, the worst thing I've ever done as a parent is provide a glowing screen to, even though like we don't let her watch it all the time or, and I don't want to deprive her of it. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I can see what it does to her. Yeah. So quite often the things that we get for our kids simply get in the way of them living their life. Now, Ella got a few physical gifts for Christmas, not from me or Bex, because we only bought her experiences mm-hmm. this past Christmas. Mm-hmm. But some of her extended family, of course, feels compelled to Give send some stuff. in tchotchkes and nonsense and mm-hmm. and uh, fine uh, if they want to do that it's not totally fine because it's not really respecting our wishes but we but then ella opens them on christmas morning guess what the thing she played with most was hmm. the packing peanuts from one of the packages <laughs> in which this was sent in <laughs> so great. i mean the christmas morning yeah. she was pretending that one of the things that was sent had all of these horrible styrofoam pack. I mean, it was this whole case of packing peanuts and she was just pretending it was snowing, throwing them up in the air, (laughs) rolling around in them, making snow angels and the, (laughs) and she enjoyed the trash Mm. more than the other things, which she basically treated like trash after opening them. Note to self, just give Ella a box of packing peanuts. Have we ever told the story of the, what we did to celebrate your promotion back at in the corporate world yes we have okay well, we can rehash it out Let's and, w- go and when it. you say we it wasn't me well we as in uh, the people who worked for you and so me. <clears throat> twice i've had someone come out to me and randomly ask for my car keys and both times i regretted it once was uh uh, uh a family member who stole something out of my car 
Uh, this was like way back, uh, probably 15, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Uh, and then the other time was when I got a promotion. Um, I'm, I'm like at my retail store. I'm, I'm like finishing up the last things I need to finish up at the retail store. And Josh is like, let me see your car keys. And I'm like, okay, mm. certainly Josh isn't going to do anything behind my back. <laughs> so, uh, I go, I have, I had a one-on-one, I had a meeting with an employee, um, right before I had to head down for like an hour and 30 minute drive. Uh, for, so from Beaver Creek, Ohio down to like Cincinnati, which is about hour 30 minutes. Um, I did do this. I had to have this quick meeting. So I have this quick meeting. Uh, Josh gives me back my car keys. I go out into the parking lot to open up my truck. And what Josh and this employee have done is they pranked me. Pranks are always funny when they're done to someone else. Not when they're done to you, though. And filled my truck with packing peanuts. And I was already late for this meeting. I was already like running uh, on like, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of extra time for this meeting. I mean, up to like his chest. Oh, yeah. It was. Yes. Yes. So I open, I open up the the truck pack. I'm just like trying to get as many of the packing peanuts out. So much litter. (laughs) I'm driving down I-75 with the windows down, like throwing packing peanuts out the window. It was hindsight. Um, Ryan would do that differently today. I was Mm -hmm. very, yeah, I was very, uh, I was so, I haven't been that mad in a long time up to that point. I was so mad. I I still don't really understand the anger. Mainly because I was already running late to this meeting uh and I ended up being late and got, it was like my first like legit meeting I had as, as my, with my new position. Uh-huh. So like, I was just starting off on the, on the wrong foot because <laughs> I knew I'd be late eventually. I didn't plan on it being the very first time I actually had to be somewhere uh-huh. representing this new position that I had. So the timing was, was definitely yeah, bad. I, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand the anger either as much as like, that's what it was. And I sure you know, definitely overreacted. Um, but, uh, but yeah, how would I handle that today? Holy moly, dude. Uh, I would just make whoever did it, clean it up. And I wouldn't freaking go anywhere until whoever did it cleaned it up. I don't know, man. I I think I think that if you didn't have a meeting to go to or whatever, mm-hmm. I think you would have found it like so hilarious. Probably. I think you would have probably just sat in it and like taken pictures in it or probably, something. Probably, yeah, probably. If time wasn't of the essence, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Anyway, so that's the story. Uh so anyone listening to this, if someone just randomly asks for your car keys, do not do not give them. To so, that person, I'll, I'll just—I I'll, guarantee you—they don't have something. They don't have something uh, <laughs> benevolent planned for you. I—I'll uh, append it. I—I uh, I didn't necessarily ask for your car keys. I asked for your keys. I, I need to get into the stock room. Oh, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I did actually go into the stock room with mm-hmm. them and got some the, where we were hiding the packing <laughs> peanuts. <laughs> oh uh, man, you and yeah, Sean Reynolds. I yes, had lunch with other, 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 Sean. <laughs> other, other, other Sean, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, he's, he's a good guy. Anyway. Malabama, we have a question here from Rico. <laughs> they say many people don't even have $400 cash for an emergency fund. So how do cash savings and lines of credit figure into just in case? You know, Rico's got a point. We're going to open up a bank account. Give us all your extra cash. Just in case. Just in case. <laughs> Just in case we need it. Yeah, you don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can get rid of $400 and replace it in less than 20 minutes for less than $20. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, with a MasterCard. Wait a minute. <laughs> we recommend getting a credit card. Oh, man. I, I, it's funny because I know Rico isn't asking it this way. No, um, no, not at all. No, no. The the the. But I do remember we gave a talk at a at the University of Montana, and this one kid was like, "So you guys are minimalist? Huh? Is it, do you minimize all your money too? Like that's always." Like people will go to that when they're really like trying to understand, mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah, of course he was like trying to like jab us a little bit, right? Sure, but like money is like uh, what's well, like toilet paper? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you, you need it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're gonna use it. Yeah, could um, you live without it? Could yes. you live without it? Sure. Um, does it make your life a little bit more comfortable with it? Yes, and a little bit more shitty without it. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically and literally, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, on you know, an emergency fund, a fully funded emergency fund is about three to six months of of what you make. Uh, of what you spend, yeah. Of what you, yeah, sorry, right, yeah. It's about three to six months of what you spend, Um. yeah, on, on in, in that timeline. So, like, I think my emergency fund is funded at like four months maybe. Uh. But long story short, that is an emergency item. That is what Josh and I talked about earlier. Those are things that you hope you never have to use. That's right. I've got chains on. Um, I just had to buy chains because we were going to Montana. And Gold chains. Yeah, <laughs> right. Figaro's. Two yeah, chains. Nice. So um, we had to go over a pass in Montana and like we got chains. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, didn't have to use them. Like barely didn't have to use them. When we came down the other side, we actually, sh- there wasn't a place to stop, but we I wish we would have put them on before because it was kind of hairy coming down on the other side of the pass. Yikes. Logan passed there, uh, Idaho, the, the, yeah, pass between Idaho and Montana. But anyway, I don't really, I hate putting chains on. I hope I never have to use them, but guess what? I have them. Um, I was thinking about returning them, but like we drive back to Montana, we take trips outside of uh, Los Angeles. I went to Big Bear not too long ago and they were like, you need to put chains on or you can't go. And I was snowboarding. I'd already bought my, day pass i didn't have chains at the time yes and i like talked the officer into like letting me <laughs> go on because i was like it's all wheel drive i've driven in snow before i promise i won't drive like an idiot and then ended up being okay um but but chains are an emergency item like i really hope i never have to use i don't like using them uh it's usually a dangerous situation when you have to use them but the same thing goes with these emergency with an emergency fund it's like yeah, you hope you never have to use it. You hope that maybe it's just something that you can leave to someone in your will that they'll get after you pass away. However, it's a good idea to have some of these emergency backups. The four hundred dollars—that's a staggering, staggering yeah. statistic. Yeah, man. I think it's. Uh, I think it's, it's true. About fifty percent. Yeah, of it's people. almost fifty percent of us. Yeah. Yeah, I can't can't come up with four hundred dollars in an emergency, and also the six six figure earners like 25% of them can't come up with $2000 within a month's time some some stat like that which $2000 is a lot of money but not if you're making $150,000 a year yeah yeah and yeah. and in all honesty $2000 isn't a lot of money for an emergency fund right True. yeah, yeah. Uh, an emergency can creep up like that a $2000 emergency yeah and and that's why an emergency fund is just that it is an emergency item it is not a just in case item yeah let's do one more question here from Marie. I hang on to gifts from others I do not use just in case they visit me. What would I say if they ask about a gift that I ended up getting rid of? <laughs> I'm just imagining like I, if you ha- applied this to your life, I would just give you the most ridiculous stuff. Like I'm thinking of a, I saw a hat one time. It had a, a butt on it and it just said <laughs> hard ass. 
And it would be your hard ass hat. <laughs> I would give you the most ridiculous looking sweaters. And I'm just imagining like me coming over to your house or something. And like you put everything on your wear. <laughs> like, just to be like, see, I'm using it. <laughs> but it's funny. We laugh at this. Yes. But this is kind of what Marie's doing though. Right. This is, this is a type of prison. Mm. We need other people to think we like them in order for them to like us. Mm. And the way we think we're going to show that we like them is by doing things we don't like to do. Mm. You could TikTok that, by the way. Dude, that's a, yeah, that's a, that is a prison. And, and what happens here when we, when we behave this way is we feel miserable and we can never live up to everyone's expectations and standards. Mm-hmm. And even if we do, what are you telling me really, Marie? What you're telling me is you don't want to be happy. Mm. Because here's, here's the truth behind this. Not opinion, not the beliefs of the other people in your life. What is the truth? If you actually wanted to be happy, you wouldn't let other people's things get in the way of your happiness. And what I'm learning here is that most of us, we do things Mm. that sabotage our happiness. Why? Because we yearn for the acceptance. Mm. In fact, it's this weird paradox, right? We all want to be accepted and loved and connected with others. We, We also want to be completely unique and separate from others. We want to be the best. We want to be, uh, uniquely ourselves. We want to be significant, Mm. right? Well, in order to be that, you can't be completely connected. Mm. And so, yes, if someone gets you a gift and it adds value to your life, wonderful. If someone gets you a gift and you feel compelled to hold on to it, but it's actually getting in the way, well, then they gifted you a piece of clutter. Mm. It doesn't mean they had a bad intention behind it. Mm-hmm. But if you aren't willing to talk to them and say, hey, this doesn't add value to my life, then what you're saying is you value their acceptance more than you value your own peace, freedom, happiness, contentment. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you do that. But yeah. we know that's not what you want, though. Right. We know that, uh, yeah, you want to be happy. So if I give Josh a gift and he's happier without it, and I come over to his house. I'm like, hey, where's that gift I got you? And he's like, you know, I just really wasn't using it. Um, that's his way of telling me like, hey, I'm actually happier not having that gift. Then I would support his happiness. And I think anyone who truly loves you and wants you to be happy would support you in getting rid of their gift. I just got for Christmas, like my mom, God love her. She gave me a like a bidet that you hook up to the toilet, you know? Oh, yeah. It's called the <laughs> butler. Not even joking. It was called the <laughs> butler. With two T's, huh? Yes, with two T's. Mm. And uh, where'd she get a sharper image? <laughs> I have no idea where she stole it from. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're mostly kidding, but you're not entirely uh, <laughs> sure. Um, so I'm at my uh, my buddy's house who we're staying with, and I'm like, "Look, dude, my mom gave me this bidet. Can you use it?" She's like, "Yeah, actually, I've been looking to get a bidet." I'm like, "Great." So he used it. And then my mom sends me a text. Um, hey, how's that? How's that butler working out for you? I'm like, mom, I gave that to my buddy, Brian. And he says that it's really uncomfortable having cold water uh, sprayed <laughs> on him. But otherwise, it works well. <laughs> she was like, oh, OK. But she never she didn't say anything about it. She's like, oh, OK, cool. 
Yeah. I'm like glad that it's working out for him. I've been thinking about getting one myself, yada, yada, yada. But like, you know, she didn't judge me and be like, I can't believe you gave away that gift I gave you. Like she understands a, that I'm a minimalist, but also like she wants me to be happy. Yeah. So she gets it. And by the way, if she doesn't get it, that's okay. Some people just aren't going to get it. Right. But if you're willing to sacrifice your own peace or happiness until someone gets it, mm. you're going to be miserable for a long time, Marie. Patrons, thank you so much yeah. for being here today. Um, we got a lot coming up in uh, the coming months. We got a great guest next week talking about the cluttered mind and mental clutter and really about focus and attention and where our attention goes and the different kinds of attention. And beyond that, we've got some other wonderful guests coming up. I won't ruin it for you, but um, yeah, stay tuned for that. Many, many more, well, much more of less. Yeah. Thanks, patrons. We love y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you soon. Bye. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it